circumcised the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given to him before he was conceived. When the time came for purification, rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said to the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custody of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people of Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child who all were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Well, today, I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite Bible characters, and her name was Anna. This is a black and white picture of a Rembrandt Anna. It's not nearly as good as his other work. This is her, Anna. Anna was a prophet, and we've been learning about prophets, right? Do you remember what a prophet is? A prophet is called by God to speak God's truth to his people so that God would be known by them. And Anna, that says, was a prophet. And do you want to guess how old Anna was? Who has a guess? Claire. 98? Good guess. Connor? 302? Wow. Yes. 100? What do you think? Hmm. You keep thinking about it. Max? 84? You're a good listener. One more. What do you think, Millie? Infinity. You're so sweet. Well, the Bible says that she was 84 or... It also says in the footnotes, and some of the scholars believe that it could be that she was widowed for 84 years. And if you add how old she was when she got married, which was probably around 14, and then seven years, she would be 105. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. Well, let's get into our story. And let me set the scene. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus went to the temple. And they, Jesus was dedicated at the temple by Simeon. And as he was dedicating Jesus, Anna came and overheard the dedication. And this is what it says. There is also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. 
and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jesus. Anna was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She was 84 years old and she had been waiting practically her whole life. She was waiting for the Messiah. And do you know why it's so exciting to read her story? Because the Israelites were also yearning. You know, I think of yearning, that's like waiting really, really strongly. And I think of it like this. Can you guys do this? Yearning. They were yearning for the Messiah, for someone to save them. Yearning. And in Jeremiah 23, 5, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And when Anna met Jesus as a small child, she knew, like Simeon, that that child was the one who would save them. And as she waited, because she waited years and years and years, what did she do? She worshiped day and night. She fasted. She prayed. When it seemed like it would go forever, she moved closer to God. And she had an invitation from God to be near to him. Do you know what? There are going to be times when we're going to be waiting. There are going to be times when we're waiting a long time. There will be times when maybe we're waiting our whole lives for God to do something. And maybe there'll be times when we're sad waiting for God, like Hannah when she lost, or Anna when she lost her husband. And there'll be times when it's really boring. Maybe it's day in, day out, over and over and over again. You're only in fourth grade. It's going to be boring for a long time. You're in fifth grade. Oh, my goodness. Well, in those seasons, God invites us to be his friend. Yeah, he invites us to be his friend. He invites you to be his friend. He wanted you to be his friend so much that God sent his son as the baby that Anna met to be a human, to die for our sins so that we could be a friend with Jesus. And we will have times of sadness and we will have times where we're really bored and waiting a long time. And God wants to be our friend in the middle of that waiting. And he loves you very, very much. Why don't I pray for us? Lord, I pray and thank you that you desire to be our friends. And you desire to be friends with each and every one of these kids. And even in those times where it feels hard or it feels long, you want to be our friend and you want us in all of those seasons. And we get to worship you because you are Lord. Lord, I pray for these kids this week and their families. Lord, be with them and make your presence known. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you haven't already. And uh, this morning, Simps and I are going to preach this sermon together. So it'll be uh, 
fun tag team today. And just want to remind you something I mentioned last week. If you are coming this evening, and I hope that you will come, it's one of my favorite evenings of the year, um, would encourage you to, either in your mind or maybe on a piece of paper, to come with one of your favorite lyrics to any of your Christmas songs. Um, and that will be helpful for you tonight as we come together to, uh, to celebrate and remember um, who Jesus is on this Christmas Eve evening. Would you join me in prayer as we now turn to God's word? Lord, thank you for the story of Anna and also of Simeon, an old man and woman who waited a long time for you. And we, each one of us, come with our own hopes and desires, uh, the yearnings in our chest. And we thank you that you are the one who, at the beginning and at the end and in all ways, is the fulfillment of those desires and hopes. And so, Lord, I pray that we would recognize you today for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm sure that most of you are familiar with Sherlock Holmes. Any Sherlock Holmes fans? Um, Sherlock Holmes is a fictional detective who is able to solve any crime or mystery because of the way that he sees the world. And he has a friend named Dr. Watson who's always amazed at Sherlock and how Sherlock is able to recognize things that other people miss. And Sherlock will often chastise his friend, Dr. Watson, for seeing things, but not recognizing what he sees. Dr. Watson and Sherlock Holmes go to the scene of the crime and they see the same things, but Sherlock Holmes is the only one who recognizes what he sees. Tomorrow, billions of people across the globe will celebrate Christmas. Billions of people will celebrate the day, but not all of them will recognize what they are doing. Over the last month or so, billions of people saw the Christmas story, maybe on a Christmas card or on the lawn in front of a church, saw the Christmas story, the nativity scene in some way, but not all of us recognized what we saw. Over the last month, I mentioned this last week, billions of people over the face of the earth have heard the message of Jesus through Christmas songs that have been played in stores and on the radio, in their homes. But how many of us have recognized the message that we heard? In our scripture text this morning, Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple to be dedicated to God. And many people, hundreds, maybe thousands of people at the temple that day saw Jesus, but there were only two who recognized him for who he was, Simeon and Anna. Jenna just shared with us about the widow prophet Simeon today. We need to remember that Jesus was not born with that glowing light around his head that we see in the Christmas cards. And Mary and Joseph didn't walk around with halos on their head. 
There would have been hundreds of people at the temple that day, crowds and crowds of people who saw Jesus, who rubbed shoulders with Mary and Joseph. Many of them would have maybe seen Mary and Joseph and celebrated their baby that was born and looked at him and saw how cute that he was. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people saw Mary and Joseph and Jesus that day. And for most of them, Joseph and Mary looked very much just simply like a family, a normal family. Mary and Joseph had only had Jesus for about a week, so they were probably looking very tired. But Simeon saw something different. Simeon recognized who Jesus was. The gospel writer Luke tells us that Simeon was a man who was eagerly waiting and praying for and looking for God to bring the salvation that we sang about today. He was righteous and devout. He was a man of prayer, and he believed that God was going to bring the promised salvation in his lifetime. Hundreds of years before, the prophet Isaiah said, and and Sam read it for us earlier, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born, and unto us, a son is given. Simeon was living in the same land of darkness that everyone else was, but he was ready and he was waiting and he was looking for God to come and to bring his salvation. He was praying and anticipating and hoping to see the light shine in the darkness. The light shining in darkness. In Luke chapter 2, we read from verse 29 to 32, This is Simeon. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people and a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Light is a very interesting thing in Scripture. It's a big theme. It's one of the big themes of Scripture. What we see, where do we see that? There is light and darkness every time in Scripture. But also every time in Scripture, there is triumph of light over darkness. Amen. The first one that we see at creation, God says, let there be light. Am I right? First opening is part of the Bible. Let there be light and light there triumphed over darkness. The psalmist goes on to say, Lord, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Light and salvation are put together. And he says, whom shall I fear? Light triumph over darkness. And in the beginning of the book of John, as Jesus is introduced to us, John says, in him, Jesus, was the life and that life was the light of men. And then Jesus walks into the temple in John again, and he says to them, I am the light of the world. Whosoever follows me, he says, will never walk in darkness, but would have the light of life in them. What does Jesus mean? Light seems to be important. In this thing, as I look at it, for me, Jesus is saying that being the light of the world means there is no any other light besides him. The father of all lights. There is no alternative. 
of light that brings illumination except with Jesus. Jesus then offers this light to everybody, to all, because he says, I am the light of the world. He is the light through which we can see who God is. He is the light through which we can understand who God is. Jesus brings light. Even in our sorrow, for some of us this is a time of sorrow. Even in our time of sorrow, he brings light that comforts us to go through what we are going through. That light that Jesus brings is salvation to the nations. And Simon speaks about it, but Simon takes it from Isaiah, who earlier Isaiah had said, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 52, 10. Isaiah 9.2, he says, those who walk in the darkness have seen the light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadows, upon them a light has shined. And Simon then says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all nations. The salvation is for all nations. The salvation is for all people. Everyone is invited to the table of salvation where this light shines from. It's for all people. It's not just for Israel. Israel's glory, yes, he speaks about, but through their glory, that river overflows and reaches everything, just like when we have a flood. It is a flood of light and salvation that he is calling all men to come to. In light of this salvation, what is he calling us as individuals to do? So after declaring this universal salvation that Jesus is bringing, Simeon then turns his attention and he focuses it on Mary. So he declares this universal salvation coming to the Gentiles, the light of the world. And I imagine Simeon holding Jesus and looking around at all of the people there in the temple that day, the hundreds and thousands of people holding Jesus and declaring this universal salvation that God is bringing through this little baby. But then he turns and he looks right at Mary. And listen to the words of old wise Simeon, his tired but his full of hope eyes looking at Mary, verses 34 and 35. Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There is no way to be neutral when it comes to Jesus. The birth of Jesus is not merely an occasion for a holiday. He is the light of the world, the word who has become flesh, the one who makes way for God's salvation to come to all people. And Simeon says that Jesus will cause then the falling and rising of many in Israel. These words echo Mary's song that we looked at a couple weeks ago when she said that God is coming and that he has brought down the rulers from his thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. Those who are proud in their thoughts, those who do not think that they have any need for God and the salvation that he offers, they will be brought down. But those who are humble, those who know that they are poor and needy, they will be lifted up. 
And Simeon's pointed words to Mary in this moment are a warning and a challenge to us to remember that there is no neutrality with respect to Jesus. His salvation is generous, open, and available to all. But this one that Simeon held in his arms that day, he is the image of the invisible God. God in the flesh come to the earth. He is the world's true king and priest. He is the light of the world that shines in the darkness. Billions of people will celebrate Christmas tomorrow, but not everyone will recognize the one they celebrate. So I encourage each of you to join today with old and wise Simeon and recognize the child born to us, the son who is given to us to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So when we look at Scripture, it tells us that by nature, we live on the dark side. By nature, we are part of the Dad Veda and his people. We live on the dark side. And John even goes on to say in John 3.20, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light, lest his works be exposed. We are people who shy away from the light because of things that we might carry in our hearts. What does light do for us individually? Light brings clarity. Light expels ignorance. Number two, light brings warmth. And what does warmth do? Warmth melts what is iced up. Our hearts are iced by sin, and light comes and brings the warmth that melts that up. An example here, I'm sure kids would enjoy this example. Remember the story on how many of you kids have watched Frozen? Awesome. Yep. In the story of Frozen, we remember that Queen Elsa made a mistake and, and when she was angry and one of the ice hit her sister in the heart, am I right? And she started to freeze. Her heart was frozen and she started to freeze. And then later it comes that she saves her sister from being killed by the fake prince. But then what happens? Then Olaf says something important as she is hugging her sister who's melted in ice. This is now King Queen Elsa hugging Anna who's frozen like this and hugs her. And as she cries because of the love in her heart, Anna starts to thaw, to thaw and melt out. And then Olaf says something very important. He says, the act of true love will thaw a frozen heart. The act of true love and, and that light from Jesus thaws our hearts from the frozenness of sin. Sometimes light brings clarity and we are afraid that it will, it will, it will expose our darkness. But I want you to remind you that at the exposure of this darkness, there is joy in that it's like exposing cancer before it becomes all spread out. An early diagnosis is better than a late diagnosis. Same thing with light coming into our hearts, in the corners of our hearts, where it lays bare the issues of our hearts. One of the ways this light lays bare the issues of our heart is how do we respond 
to Jesus. Our response to Jesus lays bare open the yearnings of our hearts. We declare who we are by how we respond to Jesus. Today, have you responded to Jesus? Ryan said so many people were there in the temple and they did see this mom and baby but did not really care because they did not have the eyes to see. Do you have the eyes to see the Messiah this Christmas? Can you recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Can you say you have a relationship with him? The eyes through which we see Jesus is faith. Do you have the faith? The light brings salvation. It is a personal invitation to you and me. He says, come, though your sins are red as scarlet, I'll make you white as snow. His invitation is for you and me. Have you made a decision about Jesus? What is your decision about the claims of Jesus? It's either he is Lord of all or he is not. There is no neutral part. And I encourage you and I invite you today as the worship team comes forward for us to sing, I invite you if today is the day that you felt like I don't really know I have not experienced this light. This is an opportunity to come and get to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. You can come forward and, and come this side. One of the elders will pray with you and lead you to the Lord. Or even after the service, catch any one of us and we will be glad to invite you and to welcome you to the light that Jesus offers. The light of salvation. Do you have the eyes to see the light. God bless you.